Don't stand in the way of this or you might get railroaded. Literally. Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that we are reading to get some learnings that we can take away from them, to examine some themes and perhaps understand some things that can be applied to our own everyday lives. And indeed, there are a couple of things from this book. We have How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley. So this was published in 2020 and it's about 400 pages in length. Took me probably about nine hours to get through. And it's a how-to book that somewhat becomes an argument for change. Matt is definitely a fan of innovation. So he uses primarily stories from history to illustrate key points. So he'll talk really about, you know, people like Thomas Edison and the invention of the light bulb and all sorts of inventors and innovators over the years. The book is split up into 12 chapters in total, and the first seven are really about types of innovation. So we have energy, public health, transport, food, low technology, innovation, communication and computing, and prehistoric innovation. The second five are pretty much more on, I suppose, characteristics of it and and kind of maybe defining it a little bit more or an examination of the process. So these are things like innovations, essentials, the economics of innovation, fakes, frauds, fads, and failures, resistance to innovation, and an innovation famine with an afterword chucked in there as well. So I suppose a lot of the book is really him distinguishing between innovation, invention, and individuals who are part of the process of this. And I guess that would be my my kind of synopsis of the book here. Now, who is Matt Ridley and why did he write this? Well, he's a science writer. He's a journalist. I've actually read a couple of his books before called The Red Queen and The Origins of Virtue, although I haven't reviewed them reviewed them on this channel. I'd, I'd previously read those maybe, I don't know, like five or ten years ago. And um, the book itself is, uh, I suppose, following what his interests are. So this is where I would just maybe caution even in this section that you can kind of see a creeping in of his personal values and opinions and him applying it to to this topic that he has obviously researched very deeply. So let's get into the first theme and I've labeled this the what, clearing up innovations, is's and isn'ts. So what is it and what isn't it? There's no real clear one-liner that I would take away from this book. He kind of hints at it right at the start, but it's something along the lines of it's enhanced forms of improbability. So basically it's a reducing of entropy. So this is you know disorder, chaos in the world and conglomerating atoms into more useful arrangements that benefit humanity in some port, uh, in some in some way, make things better, and it's really this this utility, this usefulness, which is important because you can create order from disorder, but it doesn't necessarily help people. It's maybe not innovative. It's it's maybe a, a replication of something that's already been done, or maybe it's an a piece of art that is maybe a bit more subjective, but maybe you wouldn't say it's innovative. So I'm going to jump here to chapter eight and the subtitles because I really think that kind of talks in general, I guess, what innovation is and that we can get a, a bit of an understanding from this. So here, the subtitles here are innovation is gradual, innovation is different from invention, innovation is often serendipitous, innovation is recombinant, innovation involves trial and error, innovation is a team sport, innovation is an 
inexorable. Innovation's hype cycle, innovation prefers fragmented governance and innovation increasingly means using fewer resources rather than more. So we can really see that I suppose over time, and he really highlights this with so, so many different uh, historical examples where we see, okay, innovation isn't necessarily uh, a, a, a thing that it just pops up. Usually it does take a long time. You know, it's not like we went straight from inventing in flight to then being able to go up into space. No, there was a you know huge decades long process of how you can see it. It gradually gets moved, moves closer and closer to us being able to fly higher distances, get up into places where humans can't survive on their own, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's so many different ways where we can look at this. And I'd say it's, it's kind of the underlying mindset or process that makes new things. And so I'll also jump onto page 89 here and it talks about the three stages. And this is, I guess, where we could say, oh, okay, this is why innovation is somewhat more of a, a process rather than an invention. And so if I jump into here and I say, okay, the story of the internal combustion engine displays the usual features of an innovation, a long and deep history characterized by failure, a shorter period marked by an improvement in affordability characterized by simultaneous painting and rivalries, and a subsequent story of evolutionary improvement by trial and error. So this trial and error is, is a critical portion of it. And an innovation isn't usually a, you know, out of the box, a, a sudden idea of, oh, wow, I could create light by well, testing my, <laughs> my technology of the light bulb here, but you know, using a, a current through a wire and then um, using this current to um, create heat in some sort of filament, which then produces light and heat. Uh, and and then you know kind of completing the circuit and then hence we have the light bulb and you know there's there's where we get into people like Thomas Edison who famously talks about how he you know it's uh, what one percent uh, inspiration ninety nine percent perspiration or how he tested out five thousand different filaments until he found this bamboo that actually was the you know perfect material that he needed to be able to mass produce. So it really is talking about how, okay, no, it's, it's not one person, it's not one thing, it's not one idea, it's this really tiny work hard, perspiring trial and error, failing so much until you finally get this one thing, but this thing doesn't really make the innovation because you, now you need to create the, you know, the, the bulb to fit around this light bulb and all this sort of things all combining into this this process so it's a it's not a thing it's not a one individual thing and you point out and go that's innovation it's no it's this kind of collective humanity working together this this process so some examples of this where you'd be saying okay innovation is more like gmos so genetically modified organisms i believe it is um and it's not golden rice or this one particular variety or strain of wheat it's telephony, so the, the ability to communicate over long distances where my normal voice wouldn't be able to reach, you know, 100 meters away. And it's not the iPhone, even though that was a innovative device, it, it wasn't the, the big innovation, I guess you'd call. And there is a blending of, of these things, so it does get into, you know, semantics somewhat. It's more the process of vaccination, i.e. immunizing yourself and you know, having the body 
react to a smaller non-lethal dose of whatever it be, whether it be chickenpox or coronavirus or something. And it's not a particular technology, mRNAs, and it's not a particular um, substance or a brand such as, I don't know, Pfizer, whatever. So that's that's kind of the what portion. It's really, you got to get into your head that it's it's it's... It's not a human thing. It's it, that's probably not the best way to look at it. It's more a uh, accumulation of many humans working on things together, and there is a, a quite a strong emphasis on how how all of these things and, and innovation in technology, in light bulbs and whatnot, and things like that. Multiple people tend to discover it across the world simultaneously, and that somewhat says it's not particularly the great man theory of history it's more like this in, uh, inexorable process of of humanity working forwards and pressing forwards so we'll get on to the second theme now which is the how and i've kind of subtitled this move aside and gtfo get the fuck out so get the fuck out of the way and the reason i say this is because it's somewhat defined by the negative so the last four chapters in particular really showcase how it's more innovation gets stymied and it gets stopped and it gets blocked and it can't move forward as fast and progressively as as it should but it's it's more like this kind of battle between a collective entity which is usually the government um, or regulations or um, you know a, a conglomeration of unions or things like that versus this other thing called innovation, which is trying to break the, break the boundaries and improve and, and make things better. So I'm going to jump here to page 327 on the middle of it, where it talks about the duh, 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 uh, a couple of things, the characteristic features of opposition to innovation as well. So to quote, here we see all the characteristic features of opposition to innovation, an appeal to safety, a degree of self-interest among vested interest, and a paranoia among the powerful. Recent debates about genetically modified food or social media echo these old coffee wars. And so he's really highlighting in how the 1790s and the 1800s that coffee the the you know coffee beans being found in the new world so this is kind of like I, I think like the peru chilean region something like that actually maybe even came from um africa was how you know they were they were scared people were scared kings were scared oh coffee it's um it's getting people together in these kind of cafe houses and they're uh, it's a stimulant, so they're like going to be all jacked up, and they're going to talk about revolution and bad ideas and things like this. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a good thing those things are happening. Yet it seems to be a power of some sort saying, no, we don't want the coffee here, or it's people like the alcohol industry um, lobbying to get bans put on it because of safety concerns and things like this. So very rarely do these concerns and these reasons for for stopping innovation very rarely are they justified in the whole of the book he gives a couple of examples and i really want to highlight there's probably 80 different examples he gives of different types of inventors and innovations throughout history there's really only a couple of cases one comes to mind is thalidomide i believe that's how you say it which was a drug 
introduced particularly into the US where it um, I think it like breached this membrane that people didn't think it would be able to get through and um, ended up affecting fetuses um, inside pregnant women and uh, I believe either causing the the death of the the fetus even though I guess it's not technically alive causing the um, the termination of it or um, having very severe side effects or something like this so this is where you could maybe say, oh, innovation so bad and, um, oh, it's going to take all the jobs or oh, the innovation of this is going to, it's going to completely change humanity and we're going to all become, you know, dystopian, blah, 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 blah. Very rarely, very, very rarely. And it, this is where the kind of, it's not a scientific book per se, in the sense it's not looking at studies and it's not. Uh, there's n- no real graphs or hard data that particularly backs up a lot of what he talks about. But this is where you look at the history and go, okay, where was a, an innovative thing that happened, really, really a bad um, thing that happened to humanity? You could maybe say weapons is is really the only argument I think can be made for that. But even then, it's like the the innovation and in weapons help spur other in- industries to to make things better as well. So it seems to be it's more like a mindset of fighting change is the root cause of this. If you're really opposed to innovation, it seems to be you're, you're, you're opposed to change. And then the reason for that is because you've worked yourself into a, a position of power or you've, you've done these other things to, to then make this mindset go, oh, I don't, I don't want change. Change is bad. Innovation is bad. So... So here's some rule of rules of thumb. I guess I've taken from from this section. So this is somewhat the how plus. If you're an individual looking to know, oh, where's innovation coming through nowadays? What are some ways that it's it could be blocked, or how I could make things better? These are a couple of the rules of thumbs I've taken from the book. So some things to avoid and attract so you don't get blindsided. That's what I've written down. So. Number one, look for rent seekers and investigate the opposite. So usually if people are rent seeking, so this is they're on top of a, an industry where they already hold all the patents or whatnot and they are just looking to extract a you know residual steady income without extra effort on their own, they're, whatever they say, whatever they think, the innovation is usually on the opposite side of that. So if they're worried about something, that's usually where the innovation is occurring. The second fear of safety is the main tell of a person on the wrong side of innovation. If they are scared and they are using fear to really highlight, oh, this is this is super bad, we need to be worried, usually they're on the wrong side of innovation. And now I can understand how this is can get mixed up with things like uh, a particular thing to be fearful of. There's plenty of things to be fearful of. When COVID was first happening, there was plenty of people sounding the warning alarms and they had a good right to. There was a, you know, turned out to be a global pandemic. So, and it could have been much, much worse. Could have killed young children, for example, instead of the elderly. So there is not to get mixed up don't think everything if someone's fearful of something it means they're on the wrong side of innovation you know got to use a little bit of common sense but if they're fearful of oh um humans are going to turn into mindless robots because of uh twitter or of this you know social media 
I would argue, no, nah, you're probably that's 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 not good enough. Yeah, that's uh, that's not that's not correct. Uh, another one. So dispelling myths. This is related to kind of publicly funded research is is not better than private research in terms of creating innovation. Plenty of examples in the book of how. Um, they're trying to uh, create flight, for example, and it's the Wright brothers who are this, you know, bicycle repairmen doing their own little fun things on the side outside of their day job versus a guy who got a grant from the government who was the foremost leader expert of it and he couldn't, couldn't break, you know, break through and he wasn't the one who invented flight. There's, so it's, it's more like the, the, another one is that lone innovators. It is usually people who are doing things with others, I guess, or at least they're sharing ideas. So it's very rare the individual genius in their cave or in their little blocked off area with no access to outside information. Very rarely are they the ones who innovate. And it's more where trade is happening, where, and, and like literal trade, as in, you know, trade of goods and services. That was where the innovation typically happened in in the in the past so it's yeah don't think of it as like the one solitary genius it's usually it's usually from collections of individuals or an individual who gets the collection of other people's ideas coming through number four innovation is likely to come from small nimble companies or big ones with branches and an ethos of trial and error so if you have a big conglomeration i.e. an entity of some sort, a government, a, a corporation with a very fixed kind of pyramid structure, you're very, very unlikely to see innovation happening in that because it, it tends to stifle it. There tends to be this, this propensity for organizations like this to not want change. And that's usually because they're big and solidified and it's, it's hard to have change in them. The number five, and the uh, second to last one I had was open source or at least no ability to rent seek IP squat or frivolously sue is better in the medium to long term and still good in the short term due to a first mover advantage. So this is where many arguments were, were being proposed or um, at least highlighted. Oh, but if I'm an innovator and I put all of this hard work in and then somebody steals my idea, that that is actually going to stifle innovation. It's not, it's not going to make me or individuals want to, to try and innovate on things because they'll, they'll just get wrecked. The only case where this seems to sort of make sense is something like a drug, a pharmaceutical drug, where you have to put in the tens of billions of hours and work and mon- well, tens of billions of money to, to be able to get this new drug and then if someone could just, you know, you start selling it and then it's like another company over here just it gets the chemical recipe, completely recreates it and then and they're better marketers. Well, that, that doesn't seem fair. Um, but even then, even then there are some arguments that the reason it costs so much is because of all the regulations related to um, safety and whatnot, which can be done in a better way. And then the last one here is uh, related to regulations. Um, Broad, unclear regulations work when followed up and enforced by small, on-the-ground, interested parties. So 
regulations is, is this is where it's getting into kind of my own personal thoughts here as well. Regulations seem to do a pretty bad job in general. They don't actually seem to help that much. And usually they're too, they're too broad, but are enforced by a large entity. So in this case, we're thinking along the lines of um, uh, you, you, you're, not, um, you're not allowed to have buy and trade, sell crypto assets on the internet. Um, and we're going to put this broad regulation in, no innovation in, in this sector. And then people just go, all right, well, I'll just go elsewhere where there are no regulations, but also there's no safeguards at all. So this is where scams and frauds and fads and things like that come come into place. Whereas if there was regulation, which was either very particular and niche and saying, no, you're not allowed to put thalidomide into these, these um, drugs that you're creating because, and then it has a bunch of, you know, scientific studies proving it's dangerous to, to fetuses, that regulation, you know, spot on, well done. But then on the other case, when it's something new and you, you want a broad scale thing to, to uh, be able to enforce, I guess, some general principles, that's where you want, okay, it needs to be, you know, the local GP doctor who is now saying, I'm not sure this is good for you in your particular case. Mrs. Kyrena, uh, because you're pregnant and there are some um, questions as to whether thalidomide actually is good for a baby or not, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest not, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's, uh, um, those are, I guess, like the general principles I've kind of taken from this book and the, the hows and the, the definition of what innovation actually is. So, let's jump on to some of my own observations and takeaways now that I'm, I'm kind of stuck into it it was in, i'm enthusiastic of this book because it it somewhat matches my thoughts on um, bitcoin as a crypto currency and then all the others as as crypto assets because this is it's just something i'm intrigued in at this very moment in time and it it matches my thoughts which were basically regulation is generally a bad idea Generally, the government's coming in and enforcing what I as an individual can or cannot do is silly and leads to worse outcomes for everybody over the large scale, even though arguments can be made on a very small scale for a very individual. Yes, that would have been better for that person. Um, so, yeah, my, my thoughts on innovation in, in general uh, somewhat reflect Matt Ridley's, which is innovation is good and you want more of it in your life rather than less. Um, and you want more of it for humanity rather than less. Very similar to the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which I've reviewed on this channel before, if you feel like checking that out. On the aggregate, I would say this book is correct, but probably 10% of it has got to be misrepresented or just plain out wrong. There's so many stories he tells in here and I, I really need to emphasize there is probably, uh, I can even just go to the back here and and see. Yeah, there's there's so many different names that are, are chucked in here that my estimate of 80 is probably well <laughs> under what it actually is and maybe even up into the, the hundreds because there's just so many names of things and inventions and innovations that were created, which he references in, in the actual book itself. 
and it's impossible to get all of those right. He, he, you'd have to spend a lifetime. If he, if you were to live and die by what you said in this book, you would have to spend a lifetime researching, you know, five months on each individual person that he talks about to really be able to say, yeah, I, I know the details of that and I can represent it in this way. The last one is that this, once again, is a new book published in 2020 and his background is somewhat libertarian. So the book itself, I wouldn't say is hugely data-driven. It's it's kind of built upon principles and history rather than science and um, the process. So yeah, to summarize, it captures the spirit of philosophy of innovation, if not the science, the process and the technological steps of how it works. So I was actually rather surprised by how much emphasis is somewhat placed on the on the hindrances what is stopping innovation rather than what innovation actually is it almost seems like innovation is already here out in the world and humans just go about on their day-to-day lives and how we're built and how we program and function we seem to just seek out innovation and it's it's these kind of group think entities which stifle it and stifle individuals from from seeking innovation so the book itself is new and i'm somewhat skeptical of new books in terms of how they'll hold up in the grand scale of time Uh, will this be talked about in 80 years chances are it won't be so um, i wouldn't put too much weight on it but it did add to i think a kind of personal philosophy or a hypothesis that I'm building. So overall, I'm giving the book How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley a 7 out of 10. I thought it was a a pretty decent read and and helped to clarify a couple of things that I had in my own brain. And there we have it. Thank you so much for joining me to the end of this book review. What are your thoughts on innovation? Do you like it? Do you seek it out? Are you afraid of it? I'd love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is by sending in a boostergram. So talking about innovation, here we go. A Boostergram is an innovative new way of communicating directly with your favorite podcaster or content creator directly in the app where you're listening to it. So you're obviously listening to this somewhere on the internet in some sort of podcasting player. And all I recommend is that you go to one of the new innovative ones, which have the ability for you in the app itself to actually send me a message. So it goes directly to me. The underlying mechanisms behind this is using a thing called Bitcoin and in particular the Lightning Network. And you can upload a wallet full of Satoshis, which is a portion of a, of a Bitcoin, and send that through to me as a, a measure of appreciation for this podcast. I put a lot of value and time into this and I run the value for value model. So I provide all this value upfront, free of charge. You can never support me in a single way ever if you want. But if you do want to see this podcast continue to go on, I just recommend that you send some value back because it is very hard to keep doing this all the time. I do love it, but there are costs involved. There is time involved. And unless I get the feedback that people are actually enjoying it, and and um, placing some sort of value on it, um, I, I won't continue this forever. It's uh, it's uh, that's that's how the innovation cycle works. There's no point uh, doing trial and error and then just keep continually hitting the error portion without some sort of uh, you know payoff or some sort of direction that this is the way to go. So 
I will just highly recommend that you go to newpodcastapps.com, choose one of the ones there. Uh, good recommendations are Fountain or Breeze or Castomatic or Podverse. And yeah, getting onto this new world of Bitcoin, of cryptocurrencies, and or well, Bitcoin as the cryptocurrency, other crypto assets, and then learning about all the innovative things that are going on. I really do hope you have a fantastic and innovative day wherever you are in the world. Kyron, out.